0: Good morning, in town. Um, question for you today. Question has to do with um, yeah, how, how do you how do you move a church from division and suspicion to a new vision? In the first century, God's vision for his church in the city of Rome was that it would become a home base for helping more and more people discover the love of Jesus. The Apostle Paul had done a lot of ministry over decades in the eastern Mediterranean basin and God was calling him to shift westward and to take this message about the love of Jesus to people who had never heard it as far west as Spain. He needed a new home base to do that from, and God's vision was that Rome would be that place. But culture wars uh, were brewing in the church in Rome between Christians who came from a Jewish background and Christians who came from a non-Jewish background. And uh, uh, kind of culture wars in the church resulting in division and even suspicion of the Christian message itself. Your version of the love of Jesus isn't good enough. How do you shift a church like that so it has a new vision? Well, the the elders of in town are convinced that God is calling us to a similar vision to that of the church in Rome in the first century, that, that we become the kind of place that would help more and more people discover the love of Jesus. And um, we're living at a time, if, if you haven't noticed, there are a lot of shifts going on in our culture, and they're brewing a lot of culture wars. And um, it's only a matter of time that that, that we start to fragment and, and and become divided and maybe even suspicious of each other. Now, how, how How do we get... Moved from that place of division and suspicion to excitement about the vision that God has for us. Well, the answer, according to the Holy Spirit, who gives us the letter to the church in Rome, we call it the book of Romans in the Bible, is you tell a story. And a story that builds up to an ending that's all about undying love. That's where we are in Romans chapter Eight today, we we did the first eight chapters uh, last year. We're gonna finish out the book this year. It's a story that builds up to this ending. It's all about a love that overcomes everything, even death. A love that can restore the wholeness that each of us is longing for. This morning's scripture reading, yeah, just listen. You'll hear you'll hear the emphasis on that undying
1: love. Peter? Thank you, brother. Our scripture this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What, then, shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he also not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God.
0: Uh, My New Year's resolution, more trains. Um, Love, love steam locomotives. And uh, part of the reason is just fascination that started in my 20s, maybe the result of living beside train tracks a lot. Um, Just being fascinated by the idea that, that you could, Build a machine that the, the biggest steam locomotives ever built weighed a million pounds. A machine that big, pulling millions of pounds of freight or passenger cars and baggage and luggage. And you could get all that to move just by making water so hot that the molecules start to bounce into each other. It's just Fascinating, right? On on the one hand, it's like too simple. This shouldn't work. What kind of power is built into our world that that water molecules can do all that? And then you start to study, like these are pretty complicated machines, thousands of parts, and they all have to work together. Everything's gotta be working just right. If if you get the temperature too hot inside the firebox, you melt all the metal holding the thing together. (laughs) and it blows up, literally. If you don't get it hot enough, you don't go anywhere. Like, everything's gotta be calibrated just right. And uh, there's fascination in that for me. Um, Think a little bit about how that's a, a symbol for what human life is like. We were designed for that kind of wholeness and integration all the parts working together, right everything working just right, so that nothing blows up, <laughs> and that good things happen. And it takes an incredible amount of design and and that kind of wholeness, that kind of everything working together is what we are designed for. The book of Romans is a great um, exposure to that concept, this idea that we were built to wrap our hearts around. One reality, that that when we do that, it it brings that wholeness, that that integrity, everything working together as it should, so that all of our deepest needs and longings are satisfied, that that there is a kind of true glory in this world, that, that you become more whole the more fully you give yourself to it. And that the world really is like that. That's how the world was designed. That's how we are designed. The message that God has spoken to us through his son is that he himself is the true glory. That he uses his infinite love and infinite power to bring this universe to a place where in the end we will experience that kind of wholeness forever. We'll get ahead of ourselves a little bit and just rem- remember how verse 39 of Romans 8 ends, that in the end, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything in the whole universe working together so that, now if you love stories, you're going to love the way I say this, right? <clears throat> Everything working together so that every person becomes a beloved character in the perfect story. Everyone working together so that every story has a perfect ending. And everything working together so that every ending turns out to be just the beginning of another perfect story in which everybody is a beloved character. That's what we were designed for. That kind of wholeness, integrity, not only in us, and then our relationship with God, but every detail of the whole universe working together that way. That's what we were designed for. <clears throat> okay, when, when a steam locomotive rolled off the assembly line, brand new, this one's from the 1920s. It's been restored. It's in Australia. I want to go to Australia one day. Uh, <laughs> Lots of reasons, but this is one of them. This guy's in Bolivia. There's a famous uh, train graveyard in Bolivia. This is the opposite of wholeness. This is not what this guy was designed for. This is not how it rolled off the assembly line. Nobody said, hey, let's build a big, massive heap of rusty parts that good for nothing, that won't do anything. In fact, let's put all these parts together and then rip most of them off and let it sit exposed to the weather so that everything gets so rusty and clunky it will never move again. Nobody designed this thing for this, right? There's a kind of devastation that you see in the world that if if things aren't constantly moved in the right direction, devastation is what happens, right? The the parts aren't working together the way they were designed. The wholeness has been lost. Humanity has lost that wholeness because we pursued a counterfeit glory. So if there's a true glory in the world, that, that the more you invest yourself in it, the more whole it makes you and everyone else around you. There are also counterfeit glories in the world. And the more you give yourself to them, the more undone you become. The more life unravels, the more the parts rust and the original design gets lost and obscured. Where's the bright red paint? Where's the beautiful green stripe running down the side? Where are the parts that work together that that make this thing move? We have pursued counterfeit glory as human beings. And it's led to devastation. It stretched our hearts into shapes that they weren't designed for. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, his ministry in New York may be known to you, he passed away recently. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, writing about these kind of counterfeit glories that we wrap our hearts around. Um, and he talks about them in terms of deep idols, The reason he calls them deep idols, distinguished from surface idols, you'll see in just a minute. But he identifies four deep idols, and uh, your name is written beside one of these, right? All of us, all of us at some point have bowed down and worshiped one of these four things. In fact, take me through a 24-hour period. I might cycle through all four of them before the day is over. The devastation that we have experienced personally, that we have experienced in our families and our communities, churches, nation, whole human race, all together, um, a lot of it can be measured just by looking at these kind of deep idols of the human heart. Let's unpack them a little bit. Power. Power is, is when, you know, you're saying, my influence shapes what happens, People do what I say. Now, it's not always wrong to want that. But it is wrong when that becomes the key reality that you can't live without. Right? I have to have power. I have to do whatever it takes so that my orders are the ones obeyed, not someone else's. And if that means disobeying everybody else's orders, then so be it. It has to be my recipe that is celebrated at the family Thanksgiving dinner and not yours. It has to be my team that wins and not your. All these little kind of trivial ways that we say the thing that matters most in my world is I want power, approval. I need affirmation. I need acceptance. I need to know that the right people are pleased with me, the right people. If the right people are pleased with me, then everybody else can go to hell in a handbasket. I don't care. The right people love me. The right people know my worth and my value. And as if I've got that, everything is okay. And I will do anything to please those right people, including hurt you. If I have to, I mean, I want to. But in the end, if the choice is between loving you, helping you, serving you, and getting in that inner circle so that the right people know me, love me, approve of me, I will hurt you every time. Comfort. I want pleasurable experiences. They may be innocent, <laughs> but they become God's I want a certain quality of life, Um, and it could be anything, right? I, I want this quality of life that's measured by giant mansions and diamond rings on every finger and lavish spending, or I want this quality of life that's, you know, me in a cabin off the grids out in the woods making my own cornmeal and eating nothing but grits for the rest of my life whatever your vision of the right quality of life is you'll i got to have it i want to be free from stress and demands i want to just be left alone to pursue this vision of comfort and look your vision of comfort may seem very uncomfortable to the next person quality of life for me means getting on a jet and flying to the world's highest mountains and risking my life every day climbing up there that doesn't sound very comfortable to the person you're sitting beside, maybe. It's not about what quality of life you're pursuing. It's, it's about the fact that the human heart had, it gets distorted and we start to say, this is the thing that matters most. Everything else gets sacrificed for this. Security. I want a life free from anxiety, risk, threat. I want assurance about the future. I want to be able to make plans and know that nothing's going to mess with those plans. Now, this is different from power. Power says, I want to know that everybody's going to embrace my plan. Security says, I don't care whether anybody else knows I have a plan as long as my plan stays intact. Let's illustrate a little bit by talking about money. Somebody who wants security is probably going to hoard money, save it, because it builds this sense of I am prepared for the future. Nothing is going to catch me off guard. Don't spend it. Invest it. Maybe don't even invest it. That's risky. Bury it in a hole in the ground. I don't know. Whatever. Money becomes the way to guarantee secure future. A deep idol is security, money is just the surface idol you're using to feed it. Comfort person may spend their money lavishly, right? Money is there for spending. Buy pleasurable experiences with it. What kind of experience it depends on who you are. Get on the jet and go climb the mountain. Go get the cabin and make your grits, whatever. The money is there to be spent. The money's not the idol; it's just the thing you're using to feed the idol. Somebody who wants approval—how are they going to spend their money? Well, you already know the answer. It depends on who the right people are. If the right people are savers, then the person who worships approval is going to save their money. If the right people are big spenders, then the person who wants to be in that crowd is going to spend like wild. What they do with their money is not determined by their worship of money. What they do with their money is determined by their worship of approval. And similarly with power, money just becomes a tool for power, wielding power over. We could do the same experiment with sex. Sex is about comfort, pleasure. Sex is about security. I want a family. I want someone who loves me forever. Sex is about getting approval from this person or that person or from the people who sex is about power over someone. It's the surface idol feeding the deep idol. Do you see how those things start to distort the human life where we become dominated by the fear of losing the thing that means the most to us? Our hearts become fragmented and broken. We were meant to find a glory in this world that answers all of those needs simultaneously, and our hearts get fragmented, and we think, I can only have this one thing, and I'm going to go after it with everything I've got even if it hurts people along the way, even if it hurts myself along the way. That's just a kind of a a measuring stick for the devastation that the human heart has experienced, individually, and the devastation that the human race has experienced, collectively. But what if, what if devastation is not the end of the story? If you like images, you may not have noticed the words in this image. If you like words, you noticed immediately when you saw this picture before. Wait a minute. Somebody painted letters on the side of this old rusty bucket of bolts. It's in Bolivia, so they're in Spanish. Down the side, it says, así es la vida. That's life. Devastation. You're designed for one thing. (laughs) Everything falls apart. You wind up in the desert, in the graveyard. Así es la vida. And then someone else painted, well, maybe the same person. I don't know who painted it. Smaller letters on the front. Se necesita. Needed. It's like a one ad. Se necesita un mecánico con experiencia. <laughs> needed. A mechanic with experience. And then down at the bottom, down here, urgente, urgent, <laughs> badly needed. What if there's a mecánico con experiencia? in this universe who can help? What if devastation is not the end of the story? What if there's good news? If you were to read the book of Romans, the New Testament for that matter, you would find the word gospel a lot. It might be translated good news in some places. Good news. The Christian gospel is news. It is a report that something has happened, that something real happened, not a make-believe story. Not a hope or a dream or a wish, but a reality. Something happened in this world, time and space, flesh and blood reality. Something has happened to reverse the devastation. Jesus has come to restore the true glory that we were designed for. Jesus has come to restore the wholeness that we're longing for, to reverse the fragmentation and the distortion. Jesus has come to make us beloved characters in a story whose plot line is undying love. Do you hear that emphasis? I I, want to capture how important this is. We're we're in the book of Romans. This is chapter 8. The Apostle Paul has said a lot, eight chapters worth. There's 16 chapters in this book, so he's kind of halfway done with what he has to say to move this church from division and suspicion to this place of new vision for helping people get so excited about the love of Jesus that they want their neighbors who've never heard it to hear it. He's said a lot, and now he asks a question. Verse 31, What then shall we say in response to this? Eight chapters worth of good news about Jesus, answering your suspicions about that good news, because you're not going to get on board with taking it to Spain until I answer those objections. Eight chapters worth of that good news aimed at our suspicions and questions and objections. And then he says, what's the big takeaway? all of that stuff, about all that good news. What is the one thing I want you to take away? What is the one thing we should say in response to this? And the one thing he says, says it twice, is undying love a love that is so strong that nothing and no one can ever separate us from it. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer nobody. Nobody. It repeats the question in case we miss the one big takeaway. Verse 39, Nothing in all of creation, when God is finished with the work he is doing through Jesus, the one great mechanical, with the experiencia, the experience of death and the experience of new life through his crucifixion and resurrection, nothing in all the universe will be able to separate us from this one main thing. This is the one big takeaway I have for you. God loves you because of what His Son has done for you. And what the Son has done for you reverses the devastation that has fallen on you and on your world. That's the one big takeaway. And you're allowed a moment of cynicism you're allowed to sit here and go, so what? (laughs) Telling people Jesus loves them won't change anything. You can stand in the desert screaming at that rusty locomotive that Jesus loves it, and it won't change a thing. Your good news isn't good enough for the real world. That that is kind of the posture of the human heart. Your good news isn't good enough for the world that I live in. I'm afraid to risk it. But what if that good news is good enough for the real world? Would you like to take a few minutes to see that it is? What do you think? I see a couple heads nodding. We've got to go back to those deep idols. And now we're going to put undying love at the center of all of them and hear God saying, hey, all that truth about Jesus, all that deep theology of Romans chapters 1 through 8, critically important, great stuff. Know it all. Learn it all. But don't lose this in the middle of it. Because this is the one great takeaway it's all building toward. The undying love that God has set on people because of what Jesus has done in this world. That is what will deliver us from every hostile power. Hear the power words that God is speaking to us through his word, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 34. How about persecution? How about when powerful people are against you? How about sword? How about the people who have political power using that power to kill other people? (laughs) How about the power that a warrior has when they swing a weapon in battle? These are power words. God is saying, my love will deliver you from every hostile power. He even uses the word powers, verse 38. Nothing can separate you from this love, not death or life or angels or demons or the present or future, nor any powers. Whether they're spiritual powers, the mightiest angels in God's universe, whether they're dark spiritual powers, the most fearful demons Whether they're human powers, no. God is saying, my love will deliver you from every hostile power because of my love. Every power in the universe will eventually be directed toward your good. That thing you want so much. My love is where you find it. How about approval? Here's God saying, my love will always be for you. Verse 31, what's the big takeaway? What should we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is saying, I will always be for you. I will always be for you. I will always be in your corner. I will always be at your back. Nothing can turn me away from you. Nothing can turn me against you. Verse 34 says that Jesus is interceding for us. The Father is for us. The Son is praying for us. The Spirit prays for us, but that's a few verses back earlier in the chapter. The whole Trinity is for us. Father, Son, and Spirit Experts in eternal love, perfect love forever, have set that love to be for you. If, if you're, This is God saying, if your trust is in my son, then I will always be perfectly delighted in you. That question that says, who is it that condemns? It is God who justifies. That word justify means... I am perfectly pleased with everything you have ever done. How is that possible? Don't you know I have sold everything to chase after approval? Don't you know I've worshiped at the god of worshipped the god of comfort, worshiped at the idol of security? Don't you know all the things I've done to hurt other people in the name of these false All I know is my son did everything right. And I am perfectly delighted with him and you are joined to him. So I am perfectly, permanently crazy about every part of who you are and everything you've ever done. And nobody can change that. Nobody will turn me away from you or against you. It's the same thing for all of these deep longings of our heart, right? Comfort. My love will put an end to all your suffering. There will be no more trouble, no more hardship, no more famine, no more nakedness, no more... No more suffering or sorrow when my love has finished writing its story. Security. Because of my love, you will never again have to experience anxiety or uncertainty about the future. There's nothing in the present, verse 38 says, and there's nothing in the future that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good news, isn't it? That good news, that something has happened in our world to reverse all of that devastation, to guarantee that the story God is writing has the outcome He intends, to guarantee that the main plot line of that story in the end is a love that makes us whole. Um, You can't get excited about Jesus if you don't want to be loved like that. (laughs) You can't be excited about someone else knowing Jesus (laughs) if you don't think People want to be loved like that. It's what we all want. And it's what any person anywhere can have because of who Jesus is and what he has done. I just take a moment and give thanks. It's the right way to end this part of the story Lord, give us courage to take time to ponder which of those deep idols means most to us and give us comfort to know that um, you have met the deep longing that's underneath that idol. If, if we have not taken Jesus seriously before Give us new reasons to do that today. If we once did, but have kind of lost track of who He is and what He means to us, renew our passion for Him today. We pray in His name. Amen.